0: Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you're listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. You know, guys, sometimes your plans just don't work out. I was planning to talk about a different movie today than the one I'm going to end up talking about But I just didn't get a chance to see it this past weekend, and therefore I ended up watching this other movie that I figured I would talk about at some point or another, but I just really wasn't dying to see it. But first, I guess I should talk about, I watched a fan film recently, and hey, here's the thing, when it comes to fan films, typically people are a little bit kinder because it's a passion project by somebody that's not a professional, and they're just doing it out of love of the character or love of the source material. And you know what? Typically, we give people a pass when that is the case. However, (laughs) I just watched Superman Solar, which is a Superman fan film, and I saw many comments on the YouTube video saying that this is the Superman movie that we need It's a Superman story that people desperately need to see right now. And so I said, well, you know what? I guess I got to see it. I guess I'll watch it. And I had seen a few scenes of it on Twitter that people were sharing. And I'll be honest, uh, did not look good (laughs) at all. Quite the opposite, actually. It looked absolutely dreadful. And I had shown some family members these clips. And then we determined that we should go and watch it in my brother-in-law's home theater. So yeah, that was what we did, and I felt like I wasted everybody's time by the end. Because look, not everyone was totally down for this, but it seemed like a funny idea. The movie's only half an hour long, so it's not that lengthy. But within about 10 minutes of this movie, I was thinking, oh boy, we're only a third of the way there. And, you know, if you want me to talk about the specifics as to why this movie's bad, I feel like I'd just be getting a little too nitpicky for a fan film. However, the guy who made this did say that he actually worked on real stuff. He had worked on The Walking Dead and I think something else and then decided to step away and start his own independent film career. And this movie supposedly had a $50,000 budget that they raised through Kickstarter or GoFundMe something I don't know but it had a $50,000 budget I don't think I saw a single dollar on screen I'm being completely serious guys I made a movie when I was 12 years old it cost $0 and 0 cents All it cost in total was maybe four hours of time to make this. And I mean, from the writer's room to actually shooting this project to editing this project, we're talking maybe four hours in total. And again, this was me, my brothers, and our other friends when we were 12, 13 years old. And I'll tell you what, it was better than this. Part of it was that we had a guy that was shooting it who was just a diehard Steven Spielberg fan and was just really into cinema. I don't even know where he's at these days, but he was older than us and was really wanting to get into cinematography. I think his plans were to go to film school and he wanted to be a cinematographer. I don't know if that ever worked out. I never heard from him ever again after he shot this movie for us, but that probably helped is that he kind of knew what he was doing. But yeah, watching this movie, there's so many basic film rules that are broken just from a visual standpoint. And then if you want to talk about the acting, oh, it's wretched. It's terrible. It's some of the worst acting I've ever seen. And I don't care if it's a fan film. It was worse than any fan film I've seen when it comes to acting. It was really bad. And when I looked it up afterwards, I found out the guy who played Superman, they said, yeah, he's not an actor. I thought, okay, who is he? Oh, he's just a buddy of the director who the director thought looked perfect to play Superman. Okay. He didn't really look the part for me, and he also did not play the part well, so he was just bad all around. And look, again, I'm critiquing someone that's not an actor. I would hate if this came around to him and it hurt his feelings, but at the same time, if somebody saw me playing golf and said, this guy is the worst golfer of all time, my feelings wouldn't be hurt. I'm not a golfer. It actually did happen. I was with my buddies who both play golf. One is like ridiculously good. The other one I'm pretty sure is also good. I just don't know how good because I have no way of gauging that. I know my best friend is freaking great. And uh, we were just at this golf store, and they had those virtual driving ranges. And they were taking swings at it with different clubs. And then they wanted me to do it. And by they, I mean my best friend wanted me to do it. The other friend didn't really care for it because he knew that I couldn't golf. So what would be the point? And I gave it a swing. And yeah, it didn't go too well. But my best friend said, hey, it's not bad for a first swing. My other friend said, it's not bad for a last swing either. (laughs) And yeah, to this day, I have not played anything other than Madagascar golf on the Xbox or played at Top Golf with my friends. I've never gone to a driving range or anything like that because, yeah, I would like to avoid the shame of that moment. But at the same time, it didn't really hurt my feelings. I was just like, yeah, dude, I'm not a golfer. Of course, it's not good. So in this case with this guy, hey, you're not an actor. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Not a good performance, but not really your fault. It's not your fault your friend roped you into something that you were just not qualified for. And to be fair, nobody else was any good in this movie either. So you being a non-actor and being bad compared to all them, maybe being somewhat actors and not being good, worse on them. Also, the dialogue was so on the nose. Oh gosh, it was terrible. It was so bad. It was like the dialogue was telling you exactly what the movie was trying to convey with each scene, and it was painful just awful. I just—I don't know. I'm just wasting time talking about this. We watched it hoping that it would be funny with how bad it is, but instead it was just genuinely bad. There's one scene that's hilarious. He's fighting Brainiac in the desert. And first off, it's some of the worst cinematography of all time. Secondly, the acting is bad and the dialogue is really bad. And then finally, he fires off heat vision at Brainiac, who's standing like 50 feet in front of him, And it cuts to a shot of planet Earth from like the moon or something. I don't know where exactly the camera was supposed to be set up on, but you're just seeing a shot of planet Earth from the exterior. And you just see this huge laser beam just shoot off the planet. I mean, gigantic laser beam. I'm thinking, wait a minute, Brainiac's 50 feet in front of you. Why is this laser beam shooting off planet? You miss this guy by an entire planet? I don't know, dude. It was crazy. It was uh, just not very good. Also, randomly, it had said at the beginning this film was dedicated to Matt List, and I thought, who's that? Must be a friend that they lost along the way or something? And then the entire credits was directed by Matt List, written by Matt List, produced by Matt List, edited by Matt List, cinematography by Matt List, and I thought, wait, this is the guy that made the movie. He dedicated it to himself? He made the whole movie. If he's the editor, then he did the opening dedicated to Matt List thing. That's funny, man. That's real funny. Also, they found that guy Matt List's uh, Letterboxd account, and it was so funny, dude. I won't get into all the movies he gave five stars to, but of course, one of them was his own Superman Solar. But it was like every single black movie had a one-star rating, like Get Out, Us, Black Panther. Thought, Oh my gosh, dude, come on. Because they were saying that it was a MAGA Superman movie. I had no idea what they were talking about. And then somebody said, oh, it's because the guy playing Superman, he's always posting about like Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump and stuff. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know about all that. But then I saw that the director had given five stars to some of his own movies and then gave one star to every Jordan Peele film. And I'm pretty sure he gave one star to Black Panther. I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure he gave one star to Black Panther. So yeah. And then also he gave like three stars to Dune and said, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's a waste of time." I thought what? So yeah, obviously this guy is like a cinematic genius, but anyway, that's all the time I'm going to spend on Superman Solar, I've already spent like a third of the film's runtime talking about it, and that's just too much to me. So the actual movie that I'm talking about today is called Heart of Stone. It dropped on Netflix last week. It stars Gal Gadot, Jamie Dornan, Alia Bhatt, and Matthias Schweighofer, and some other people. Like randomly Glenn Close is in this movie for, I don't know... Five minutes. You got BD Wong in the movie. Totally wasted, but I'll talk more about that maybe. But it was this spy action thriller that was coming out, directed by some guy named Tom Harper, who I had looked and he hasn't directed anything that I've seen, but he's directed a couple things that I know. And it was a movie that at the start of the year I was a little curious about. And then the closer it got to its release, the less curious I was, the more it looked like just a generic action movie. And then the reviews came out, and of course they weren't good, but you know, I kind of expect that with any mockbuster on Netflix where it's a movie that's sort of made for the theaters, but it's a Netflix movie, they tend to not do very well on there. Just some do a little bit worse than others, I would say. And this one did pretty poorly based on reviews. But I said, all right, it's fine. I'll check it out. I'll watch it at some point. But I was hoping to see the Dracula boat movie, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. But I wasn't able to see that, so I saw Heart of Stone. I watched it on Netflix last night, and about midway through, I said, I feel like going to bed, but I gotta watch this. I have to review it tomorrow. So, I guess it's important to note that, yeah, I was really tired. This movie did not help. It was very dull to me. There wasn't really a whole lot that was interesting about it, and, yeah, I'll just go into it. The basic idea is that Gal Gadot plays a character named Rachel Stone, who is posing as this MI6 tech person who pretty much stays out of action. She's like the person that's usually in the truck, hacking stuff, being a nerd and whatnot, which, yeah, obviously she looks like somebody that would do that. But then you quickly find out that she's not actually that person, that she's actually one of the top agents in the world for this shadow organization called The Charter. And The Charter is run by this super advanced AI technology called The Heart. And the heart basically is able to predict the outcomes of every single scenario and tell you the best routes to take, the best choices to make, and things like that. It kind of tells them exactly what to do in order to win in every single scenario. And I thought, wow, this is like exactly what the entity is in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, except the good guys are using the entity here. And I thought, okay, how could this possibly go wrong? Surely this thing can be corrupted in some way or another, but that's not really what the movie ends up being. So I guess I was expecting almost a reverse Mission Impossible in some way or another, and that's not quite what it was. They managed to do something far less interesting, But yeah, from the very opening scene, I thought this has all the stuff you'd expect in a spy movie all kind of crammed into it. And I don't know, I guess it's fine. There's one character who I made note of. I said, we have Benji at home because I was just thinking of Simon Pegg's character Benji from Mission Impossible with this guy, because you can tell it's supposed to be kind of the same character. And so I was just making the joke of... Can't we have Benji? No, we have Benji at home. Benji at home, and it's this guy, because that's like the knockoff version of Benji from Mission Impossible. But I kept having that thought throughout this movie where a lot of stuff was just knockoff Mission Impossible. And I don't really know how else to describe it. It just felt like a knockoff Mission Impossible movie. And the thing is, Netflix has been wanting their own big franchises, they wanted their own Star Wars, and they're getting it with Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon universe. They want their own Mission Impossible, and I think they were trying to force it with this, and they've tried to force it with maybe a few other things. I think they wanted their own Fast and Furious-style franchise, and they tried to kind of get that with Michael Bay's Six Underground, but Six Underground was way too R-rated to be a Fast and Furious-style franchise anyway. But they keep trying to get big franchises of their own at Netflix, and a lot of them don't work because they're getting people that really aren't qualified to be making these types of films. In the case of Zack Snyder, yeah, he's a great filmmaker. I think he can do that. But you need someone like Zack Snyder or like David Fincher, who they do have working there, but he's mostly doing his own individual stuff these days. But if you want something big, you need somebody that's been able to do big. So getting a guy who directed some movie about a hot air balloon or something like that, which I think is the case with this film. Yeah, I just don't know if it's going to really do the numbers you want it to do. But as I said, this whole opening scene has all the elements that you would expect in a spy movie. And there's this big opening stunt where Gal Gadot is parachuting down this mountain or through all these trees and snow and all that. And I thought, wow, this would be so cool. And by the way, this parachute, she just steals from somebody because randomly these guys on the slopes have these parachutes. And I have no idea why, but she just grabs one of theirs. They're like, hey, then she takes off. I'm thinking, what were they doing with these? They're on like ski slopes. What were they doing with parachutes? But yeah, then she's parachuting through all this terrain and weather and all that. And it would be cool, but it looks so fake. It's so CG. There are no real stunts done in this movie for the most part. Almost every stunt that I said, oh, this would have been cool if they found a way to make this look real or at least in some capacity, if they did this in a practical way, if even half the shot was practical. One thing I did notice right away is that I thought the score was good and then it showed that Steven Price was the composer in the opening credits and Steven Price is a great composer and I thought, oh wow, he's being wasted in this movie because so far the score is pretty good. It's interesting. I'm just reading through my notes on this by the way and they're very scattered because my next one just says live action Kim Possible vibes and I think I was saying that because the opening credits kind of reminded me of like Kim Possible the movie's opening credits. (laughs) But then I made another note. I said, of the actor roommates, Andrew, Charlie, Rob, Eddie, Jamie, which, yeah, at one point, Andrew Garfield, Charlie Cox, Rob Pattinson, Eddie Redmayne, and Jamie Dornan were all roommates. But I said, Jamie Dornan has really gotten a raw deal. Outside of Belfast and Synchronic, I just don't feel like he's made anything that good. I might be forgetting a movie or two, but most movies I've seen of his are pretty bad. And the movies I haven't seen of his are also supposed to not be very good because he's got the Fifty Shades trilogy, and now he's got this movie. He was in the Robin Hood movie. I feel like there was another one that was just not very good that he was part of. And that's the thing. He's a really good actor. If you watch the movie Belfast, he's a great actor. But he just has not gotten the same quality of gigs as some of his actor roommates. Like Eddie Redmayne has gotten to disappear into a few roles like Theory of Everything. And then he was in the Fantastic Beasts movies, which at least a couple of them people liked. Maybe just one. But then you got Andrew Garfield, who, come on, he was Spider-Man. And he's been in a ton of fantastic movies. Charlie Cox, Daredevil, Stardust. He's got his show Treason going right now. Rob Pattinson is Batman. He was in the Twilight movies, which may not be that good, but he was in them. And then he's been a character actor in a ton of great movies like The Lighthouse and Good Time. But Jamie Dornan, I feel, has not really gotten the same type of gigs. And I feel bad for him. And this was another one that I'm watching thinking, yeah, he's doing his best, but he can do so much better than this movie. My next note was Belfast reference. And it's because they're talking about Jamie Dornan's character. They're doing a profile on him and they say that he's born in Belfast. And I went, hey, how about that? The next note I made is that the editing is rough at times. And yes, I would say the editing is not very good. Not at all. And I might talk a little bit more about that later. After that, I said Glenn Close is dressed like an early 2000s NBA draft prospect with that suit. Yeah, she wears this massively oversized suit at one point. And honestly, I thought she looked familiar when I saw her face, but I did not recognize her as Glenn Close. I don't know what they did in the hair and makeup department, but I thought, oh, she looks so familiar. And then I looked it up and went, oh, that's Glenn Close. She looks different than I remembered. And part of it might just be this silly oversized suit that they have her wearing. Okay, then I made note of this, and I think this is important because I said Gal Gadot isn't even bad in this movie. Her character's just bland. And in parentheses, I said, and she doesn't have the range to elevate this type of character like some other action stars, Will Smith, Tom Cruise, Denzel, or Scarlett Johansson, Charlize Theron. I mean, those are people that would have been able to elevate this type of character. At one point, I was imagining Scarlett Johansson in this role, and I said, yeah, she would be much better for this movie. And same with Charlize. And it's not a knock on Gal, because people act like Gal's a bad actor because she has a thick accent. She's not a bad actor. She's okay. She's fine. Some stuff sounds funny because, yeah, she's got a thick accent. There are words in English that will sound a little funny when she delivers them. But I think she's just okay. And the problem is, she's an okay actor being put in these big roles because she got a big role with Wonder Woman, and I would still stand by the fact that she crushes Wonder Woman in at least half of her appearances. Some moments are better than others for her, but yeah, I don't think she has a ton of range, but she's good at doing specific things, and anytime a movie needs her to do a little bit more, I think is where you see the areas that she falls short as an actor. And in this case, I don't think it's entirely her fault. She was cast in a role that, frankly, she just didn't have the chops to carry like some other action stars might have or just some other actors might have. But I don't think she's giving a bad performance. I would just say that she's not really doing anything to elevate the role. My next note was all the big stunts look 100% CG. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier that none of the stunts looked real or practical. And that's a shame because one of the things that make a lot of people love the Mission Impossible movies, whether they consciously or subconsciously notice this, are the practical stunts that Tom Cruise does. And even some of those other actors and actresses I mentioned, if you talk about, say, Charlize Theron, she does a ton of her own stunts. And you may not think that in the moment when you're watching the movie of, oh, wow, that's really great because she did the stunt herself. But you do notice when a stunt doesn't look real. And so when they actually do the stunt in some capacity, it never takes you out of the movie. Instead, it just enhances the movie. I then made another note where I said this is like Mission Impossible without the A-listers and without the authenticity and experience behind the camera. Yeah, I keep saying. Not a lot of practical stuff in this movie. It has a Mission Impossible type of plot, and it's trying to build this big Mission Impossible type of world. But you didn't write an interesting enough lead character. You didn't cast somebody good enough to play that type of lead character. And I think you just didn't have the experience behind the camera necessary to pull off a big movie like this. A lot of scenes were just really bland. There were so many scenes where I thought, oh, wow, that could have been really cool. But the way they shot it or the way that they cut it just didn't really enhance the shot at all or enhance the stunt or enhance what happened at all. The only technical factor of this movie that was consistently elevating the movie was the original score by Stephen Price. And what's unfortunate is that it's prominent in the opening scene and then prominent in the third act, but they don't use a ton of score in between then. So the scenes that it elevates are ones that are important because they're in the opening and closing of the movie, but they don't use enough original score because they have a few needle drops that don't entirely work in between then. I then made note that the action felt partly like they were trying to do Chris McQuarrie and also partly like they were trying to do the Russo brothers, which is not good because the Russo brothers are kind of trying to do Paul Greengrass. So you're copying a director and then copying another set of directors that copy another director in their style. So you kind of just get this watered down action. And yeah, the action was just really bland. There were a few moments where I said, oh, that could have been cool, but they just didn't really cut that properly. or They didn't sit on the shot long enough is kind of what I'm getting at. There are shots where I say, oh, well, that would have been cool if you saw the wind up and the punch and the follow through and not just one cut in between while it cuts to the reaction of the punch. And then there were times where it was so obvious that their punches and kicks were not landing, but people were reacting. And I thought, oh, that could have used another take. I'm going to breeze through my last few notes because I once again says Stephen Price's score goes way too hard for what the movie's actually giving us. And yeah, there were several scenes where I said this score is really good, but this scene is really bland. Like Stephen Price is going all out to make this something bigger than it is, but the movie's just not delivering consistently. It's just not delivering, and it's a shame. My next note was two Archie Medecuay movies in the same week. What are the odds? Yeah, Archie Medecuay, who plays Jan in Gran Turismo, which was my last episode, he's in this movie in a really small role. So I thought that was kind of neat. I heard the voice and I said, that sounds like Jan from Gran Turismo, but it might just be the accent. And then I looked it up. Sure enough, same guy. My next note was that Jamie Dornan is probably giving the best performance in the movie among all the actors. But yeah, it was not anything noteworthy. I then made note that B.D. Wong is completely wasted in this film. I don't even know why he was in it. I made note of one stunt that I liked. It was a motorcycle stunt slash kill that was completely ridiculous, but it kind of ruled. And I said, I wish this movie had more like that because, yeah, she jumps off this motorcycle and it goes flying down the road and then it just clocks this dude who's been chasing her on a motorcycle behind her. And I thought, see, that's great. That I love that. Well, we didn't get enough of that. Next up, I said, Jamie Dornan just threw the meanest haymaker at Alia of Bat. Once again, the score is carrying. So yeah, he punched her so hard, man. And look, it's not funny, but it does crack me up sometimes in movies when there's a character that's just way too small to be picking any fights with anybody, gets up in the face of someone way bigger, and just immediately they get clocked or just tossed aside. Because every time I'm like, what were you thinking? I get you're trying to save the world, but come on. You're not going to win a hand-to-hand fight with Jamie Dornan's character. He's freaking huge. But yeah, I did make note that Stephen Price's score there was carrying once again. So yeah, it's a shame because Stephen Price went all out for this movie. I think he gave a good score for the film. I think Jamie Dornan was doing okay, wasn't anything special necessarily. And that was the problem is that there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's okay, but nothing that's really good. There are some interesting ideas, but it's not really executed well. So yeah, it's just a shame. I don't know. I wish I could say better stuff about this movie, but I was consistently bored. And then Matthias Schweighofer is in the movie. Barely talked about him. He's good in the film. I love seeing him. And that's why I didn't really want to give this movie a bad review because I like him. And frankly, I like Jamie Dornan and Gal Gadot. I like both of them as well. So I didn't want to bash on this movie, but it just got to the end where I said, oh my gosh, this was so bland. There was potential there. Like the story in concept is interesting, but the execution, I think they needed another draft of this script just to get it ready to shoot before they actually shot it. Like the script almost felt like it was a rough draft, and they just needed one more edit. But even beyond that, the direction was still kind of flat and the CG was not very good and there was too much of it. And overall, yeah, I was just pretty disappointed. I wasn't really expecting anything great, but I was just hoping to be entertained and I really wasn't for a majority of this film, unfortunately. So yeah, I did not like this. I wouldn't really recommend it. It's on Netflix. It's two full hours. So I just feel like it's kind of a waste of time. It's not really good enough for me to recommend to anybody. But if you're really curious, then sure, go ahead and watch it. I'm not going to stop you. Just for me, I wouldn't personally feel good recommending this to somebody else. But anyway, that's going to be a wrap for me today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm sorry I didn't have something more interesting to talk about. But my next episode, I should be talking all about the new DC film. Blue Beetle, which is projected to make like 15 bucks at the box office. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. I got my ticket the other day and I was literally one of three people in my theater for the opening night. So we'll see if it fills up at all before then. But like I said, that's going to be a wrap. If you are not already, then please give this podcast a follow on whatever you are listening on right now. And also give us a follow on Instagram. You can find me under the username at And there you will be able to get updates on the movie business and on this podcast. So be sure you're following me there if you are a fan of this pod. Thanks again for tuning in. You guys will hear from me next week.